hometown hero heartbreak, insane altitudes, and Aston Martin in the mud. This week I'm talking all about the Mexican Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syrah and this week we're talking all about the Mexican Grand Prix. This was Sergio Perez's home race and he is the only Mexican driver that is on the grid right now and he is also Mexico's most successful driver. So you knew he was going to be having a welcome in his home country like no other and Mexico always gives that amazing energy as well. On top of that, we have the insane altitudes that come along with this Grand Prix and the fact that this is the second of our triple header. Not a sprint weekend. Thankfully, I'm sure the drivers and the teams are also very thankful about that. Just an all race weekend. But yes, this was the second race in a row and the second in our triple header. In terms of news in the run-up to this race weekend, I don't think there was actually a whole load coming out of it. We're winding down slowly for the end of the season. After Mexico, we've only got three races left on the calendar, so I feel like the news cycles are dying down a little bit. On top of the fact, I think that when we have a triple header or even a double header and then we have those back-to-back races, there isn't so much really going on in F1 because the teams at least are focusing and even the media are just focusing from getting to one country to the next to the next. So there isn't really much breaking news going on. So from what I can recall, no massive pieces of news or media going into this weekend. So I'm just going to dive right into what happened. Starting off with our three practice sessions. Yes, we are back to the three because it wasn't a sprint weekend. FP1, we saw one quarter of the grid full of rookie drivers. We are getting to the end of the season. Every team obviously has to have a rookie driver for an FP1 session in each of their cars. So a team runs two rookie drivers throughout the year. And I feel like up until this point, we haven't seen a lot of rookies. I feel like Paul Ricard in France was normally one of the tracks we'd see a lot of rookie drivers drive in for that FP1 session because there were a lot of big runoff areas. So if they had a moment, went off track, it wasn't going to really damage the car. We are seeing a lot of them this end of the year, though. Abu Dhabi always ends up getting used as one. So we're probably going to see a lot there. So we had five rookie drivers in FP1. And they were Jack Dewan in the Alpine, Frederick Vesti in the Mercedes, Isaac Hadjar in the Alpha Tauri, Oliver Behrman in the Haas, and Theo Porsche in the Alpha Romeo. Theo Porsche has done quite a lot of the FP1 sessions for Alpha Romeo. I think he did them last year as well. He's linked to the Cyber Academy, so he has been used to being in a Formula 1 car. I think for the others, actually, no, Jack Dewan as well, I think, has also driven in FP1 sessions. But Frederick Vesti, Isaac Hadjan, and Ollie Behrman, complete, complete rookies at even an FP1 session. Ollie Behrman ended up running the fastest time out of those five rookies, though, in the Haas. Jack Dewan, I know he was in the commentary box later on in the weekend and said, yeah, they were testing a couple of things out. He's following a run plan and we're sort of testing things ready for next year with Alpine. So yeah, those were our F1 rookie sessions that were going on in FP1. In general, though, I would say that we had a fairly tame practice across all three sessions prototype tires were coming out so drivers were testing those out the williams looked 
incredibly, incredibly strong the entire way through practice. The Williams of Alex Alburn was insanely quick. It was top three. It was topping timesheets at points. It looked like a really well put together car for the Mexican Grand Prix. But yeah, other than that, Red Bull looking very strong. McLaren looking strong. Ferrari didn't seem too bad either. Mercedes were a little bit lost, I think, especially FP1 and FP2 on the Friday. I think they were still trying to work out car setup. But I know Lewis had done his interviews after Friday and just said there was a night and day difference between Mexico and Austin in the way that the car was feeling. In Austin, he was very confident with the car. It felt put together. Here in Mexico, I think it just didn't feel quite as nice to drive. Aston Martin also really struggling throughout practice, way, way more so than Mercedes. Weren't really able to do the running that they wanted to, and it just seemed a bit messy from them. They weren't really lighting up the time screens at any point. But I think the standout for me in practice definitely was the Williams and Alex Alburn, who just seemed to have a wicked pace. Quali Saturday evening honestly gave me a little bit of a headache almost. So when I sit and watch a Formula One session, I obviously know I'm going to be recording this podcast, so I have a Google Doc up. And I will write my notes as we go along, right? And even during a race, it's normally quite tame because you don't have 70 million things going on at the same time. So I have time to write things out in bullet points. And if I need to go back and just add things to it, it's fine. Quali for the Mexican Grand Prix threw all that out of the window. I turned to my mum at one point and just yelled, I can't type quick enough. There was so much going on in Q1. So, so many investigations going on in Q1 that I could not keep up with everything Crofty was telling us, what was coming up on the timing sheets, what I was seeing on screen. It was quite chaotic. It was probably one of the most chaotic qualities we've seen, just in terms of the amount of investigations and incidents that were being noted that just kept coming up on screen. We had Lewis, Oscar, George and Lando going out on the medium tyres. I think the thought behind that was that the delta between the mediums and the soft wasn't that big. So you may as well try and use up a set of mediums in case you need the soft later on. That just didn't end up working out for Lando Norris in particular. So he did a lap on the mediums, that didn't work out, did a lap on the softs, messed up that lap. And the soft tyres in Mexico for a quality lap, only seemed to be really good for one lap. So he's going to do a second lap on them. And he just wasn't able to put that second run together because Fernando Alonso had ended up spinning and causing a yellow flag just as the checker flag had been waved as people were starting or finishing off their last fast lap, right? I think Lando Norris got a little bit caught out with that and then he ended up being eliminated. And had you said that Lando Norris got eliminated in Q1 to me back in Bahrain when the car was awful, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. It is gutting considering the pace that McLaren has had since that big upgrade package has come in. And especially in Mexico where they look to have good pace and I know this was a track that McLaren weren't put particularly confident with with their car they weren't expecting to run that well but they did look like they had good pace so gutting that Lando got knocked out there another driver that I think suffered a little bit in Q1 was Alex Alba now he did get into Q2 but the pace of that Williams had just disappeared he was on the radio saying the tyres are completely gone 
it felt like a different car. He was on the radio again later on being like, there has to be something damaged with this car because it just feels so different. So who knows what happened to that car? And then in terms of investigations, we had Fernando, George and Max all being investigated for impeding in the pit lane. We had Lewis Hamilton being investigated for failing to slow under yellow flags. We had George Lando and Guan Yu being investigated for not following a max delta time. And then we also had Logan Sargent investigated for Sargent overtaking under yellow flag conditions. So many investigations. And I'm going to tell you the outcome of them now, because if you watched the race and kept up over the weekend, you will have known. All of those investigations came out with no further action, bar Logan Sargent who ended up facing a 10th place grid penalty for overtaking under the yellow flags and he was overtaking Yuki Tsunoda. Q2, I mean, Alex Albon still complaining about the car. This is when he was like, yeah, it's got to be damaged because it just didn't have the pace. He didn't get out of Q2. And I've got to be honest with you, when you saw the way he was running in free practice, I honestly thought he would be a shoo-in to get into Q3 and maybe get up to P6, P5 even. But yeah, just pace was completely gone. Mercedes, on the other hand, looked like they had a bit more pace in hand during Q2, but come in Q3, we had a Ferrari front row lockout. Charles Leclerc in P1, Carlos Sainz P2, Max Verstappen P3. I don't know about you guys, but I was not expecting Ferrari to be able to get pole, let alone a front row lockout. And it wasn't because the Ferrari looked absolutely awful in Mexico. I just didn't think they had enough pace to get pole position. But Charles Leclerc, his one lap pace, what he can eke out of that car is just insane. And then Carlos Sainz to also be able to put such a good lap together to have both of them starting side by side was amazing from Ferrari. Max Verstappen, I think, was always going to be disappointed with not getting pole and only getting P3. The biggest surprise for Q3, though, was Daniel Ricciardo in the Alpha Tauri. Now, he ended up being in P4. This is the first time in around about a year that Daniel Ricciardo has managed to make it into Q3. Bear in mind that he was not running in F1 for most of the year either, but to do that, in the AlphaTauri, which has generally been a backmarker car this year. Really, really amazing for him. And just a note on Checo Perez, the hometown hero for the weekend, he ended up qualifying in P5. But that was definitely the weirdest and most bizarre quality I think I've seen in a little while. It was just a bit chaotic in Q1. Died down by the time we got to Q2 and Q3. But yeah, definitely a little bit bizarre. Let's get into the race on Sunday now before I give a bit of a breakdown on how most of the teams did overall during this weekend. So we knew from free practice that Yuki Tsunoda would be starting from the back of the grid for taking too many power units this season. Logan Sargent, like I mentioned, had that 10 place grid penalty for overtaking under yellow flags. And we then had news on the Sunday that Aston Martin had broken Park Fermi on Lance Stroll's car. They had changed the spec on a few parts of his car and essentially what they were doing was having a cutter spec floor for him and then the Austin spec diffuser so they could try and figure out what was holding them back and what was causing them. Such a loss in their race pace and even their one lap pace. 
a very interesting choice from Aston Martin, which I will talk about later when we get into each of the teams. Getting into the race itself, though, it was a little up and down at times, which is understandable because Mexico is a circuit where the tyres can degrade quite quickly if you're not looking after them very well, and also where the engine heating becomes a massive, massive issue. So whereas on some tracks, we can see cars follow very closely behind for quite a while, if they can't make that overtake and they'll still stay on the back of that car, what we ended up seeing a lot of in Mexico when cars were following behind and trying to get an overtake and maybe couldn't do it straight away was them having to pull off the race line to get out of the dirty air and all that heated air to try and cool down their engine. When you look at it from that perspective, I think there were just certain points in the race where you were just a bit like, there is nothing happening. Like up and down the track, I had the driver tracker up, I had the timing screens up. And yeah, there were points where you were just kind of like, I could look away for a little bit and not much has really changed here. But there were some very key points to this Mexican Grand Prix. So let's get into it. And it all happened. Well, it all kicked off at least on lap one, turn one. I've said it before, guys, and turn one of lap one at any Grand Prix, it doesn't matter where we go to, I always feel a little bit sick, right? Because you have 20 drivers all trying to go into that same turn, all of them fighting for position. People are trying to get ahead of their competitors. Front of the field, at least the top four or five are trying to get ahead in the race. And you've got the midfield and the backfield who are also still fighting for crucial, crucial positions. And when you have 20 competitive drivers doing that, it just opens up the space for an incident. And we see so many turn one, lap one incidents happening. So I always feel a little bit nervous at the start of a race, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks like that. And I feel like 80% of the time, it's normally fine. We see some clean racing. There might be a tiny bit of contact, but nothing substantial. That was not the case in Mexico. In Mexico, turn one, lap one, Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez, out of every driver it could have been, end up making contact with each other Sergio goes slightly airborne into the gravel and just has a mass amount of damage to his side pod. I'm sure there was probably issues with the floor and everything as well. And that was basically game over for Checo Perez and his race. Didn't even manage to make it a full lap at his home Grand Prix. You could see how upset he was when he got into the garage, how upset the Mexican fans were. Race Control did put this down to just a racing incident, a turn one, lap one incident, which is normally what they do at that point in the race, at that point in the circuit. And I thought at the time, and then Lewis said this afterwards, and the commentator said this as well, what happened with Checo and Charles there at turn one was really, really similar to what happened with George and Lewis in Qatar during lap one, turn one where Lewis ended up DNFing from the race. They were going through a breast. It was Max taking the inside corner, Charles in the middle, and then Sergio Perez. Max was right in the corner. Charles had nowhere else to go. Checo should have left a little bit more room. And I said the same with Lewis, should have left a little bit more room, but not really anyone's fault. And Checo himself said, look, I was trying to go for the win. It's my home race. I've been on the podium two years in a row here I didn't want a podium I wanted a win he knew that there was a risk with what he was doing he took that risk and sadly it didn't pay off 
that incident unfortunately left Sergio Perez out of the running in his home Grand Prix. Tell you what, after that contact though, surprisingly, Charles only ended up breaking a front wing end plate. That was it. That was all that he broke. Everything else seemed to be fine. The car seemed to be running really well. He was in P2, Max had taken P1, but yeah, he hadn't dropped to the back of the pack. He hadn't sustained lasting damage to the car. So he got off of it quite lightly, to be fair. That end plate did end up falling off and we did have a VSC because of that debris and Charles was investigated for driving in an unsafe manner during the race. And my point and everyone else's point before he had gone to see the stewards was the fact that there is a meatball flag. It's a black and orange flag that gets waved if there looks to be a car that is unsafe to drive. If it has bits and pieces hanging off of it that could potentially harm another driver or another car and cause an accident, right? This wasn't way for Charles Leclerc. So we did end up actually getting away with that if there was anything to get away with. No further action was taken when he went to the stewards after the race. But yeah, it was like, if you're going to call him up on that, surely that's more of a FAA safety issue. You guys should have flown that black and orange flag. A little bit of a quieter race then. We had some overtaking. I think a lot more of the action, like Austin, happened because of pit stops and people trying to get the overcut or the undercut here. Lap 33, though, we had Kevin Magnussen crashing quite badly into the barriers. From the looks of it, it looked like his right rear suspension had broken his... Brakes ended up catching on fire after he crashed. Thankfully, he was out of the car, went to the medical centre, did have to stay there for a little bit longer for them to check on him, but he is fine. Quite a bit of damage sustained to that Hasso and a lot of damage to the barriers as well. And I think it was the damage to the barriers and obviously getting the car off track because there was a very big heavy machine vehicle on the track to get the car off. The red flag was waved on lap 34, which is completely understandable, but a lot, a lot of damage sustained to the house. Thankfully, Kevin Magnuson is fine, though. During that red flag, I think most of the drivers had opted to kind of stay on the same tyres that they had already been on, at least in the top 10 they had. They hadn't been on them very long anyway, and I also don't know what their tyre allocation was like at that point in the weekend. Lewis Hamilton, though, had been put on the medium tyres. Bear in mind, we were about halfway through the race, I think pretty much at the halfway point of the race. Tyre dag was not great in Mexico. Most people came into the pits, maybe lap 17, I think, to get off the medium tyres onto the hards. And I don't think at that point Mercedes were even considering bringing him in again. They didn't want to bring him in. He was going to lose too much time. And so they were asking him and George Russell to do an insane amount of laps on a set of scrubbed medium tyres. Can't lie, as a Lewis fan, my heart did sink seeing that because Mercedes have made multiple strategy blunders this season and I thought this was just going to be another one of them. Max had taken on a set of hard tyres during the safety car before the red flag was waved, so he was fine. The Ferraris that were around Lewis were also on the hard tyres. And I thought even if Lewis does manage to get a really good launch off the line, there is absolutely no way he's going to be able to make these tyres last. Race restart was a standing start, though. 
Lando Norris had a pretty horrible restart and lost four places. Bear in mind, he was starting so far back on the grid anyway. He had started in 17th, had actually made really good progress before the red flag. Red flag had flown standing star and he just lost four places there. He did do a really good job of making up those four places though. The McLaren speed was very, very good throughout the race and he did manage to make those up. Lap 48, we had Fernando Alonso retiring from the race. He said he felt something a little bit strange with the car and then Aston Martin said they think there's possible a debris that was causing issues with the AMR23. That is Fernando Alonso's second DNF in two races out of this triple header. Very, very disappointing for him and for Aston Martin. Lap 49, we had Sonoda and Piastri have contact. Yuki ended up having to go through the grass at turn one. That was noted by race control. They'd had contact on the previous lap a little earlier on. That also ended up being noted. Nothing came of either of those, so there was no further investigation. I think it was just a bit of hard racing, but it did mean that Yuki Tsunoda lost some valuable places and a spot in the top 10 because he went through the grass and just fell so far back afterwards. We also had Stroll and Bottas making contact. That caused Stroll to spin and he had to go into the pits on lap 67 and then retired. Now that was investigated post-race and Bottas ended up having a five-second time penalty because of it. It did look like Bottas was primarily at fault. Lance Stroll was ahead of Valtteri when he had gone through the corner. Valtteri should have left him a little bit more room and space and instead tried to take that space back and got a penalty because of it. Now, it didn't really affect his race result anyway. He was in 14th out of the 15 cars that were left running by the end of the race. And he was only in front of his teammate, Zhou Guan Yu, who was about six seconds behind him anyway. We also had Logan Sargent retiring right towards the end of the race. I think potentially the last lap they didn't actually show us. But he had a fuel pump issue and they needed to protect the car and the engine and make sure nothing was damaged so they couldn't even have him take the checkered flag. So he ended up having to retire from Mexico. By the end of the race, so he had Max Verstappen in P1, Lewis Hamilton in P2 with the fastest lap. He had managed to get past Charles Leclerc quite early on in that restart and then built a very good gap and the hard tyres for Ferrari didn't really come to them and the medium tyres from Lewis didn't really go away from him. So Lewis Hamilton took P2 with another point for the fastest lap and Charles Leclerc took P3. The rest of the points finishers were Sainz, Norris, Russell, Ricardo, Piastri, Albon and Ocon. And with Max winning that race, it made it his 16th win in the season and therefore he breaks his own record for the most amount of wins in a single season. I am pretty sure that record is going to end up being extended by the time we finish the season at Abu Dhabi. But yes, he has officially broken that record that he set only last season with 15 wins. So that was a quick roundup of the race. Let's get into each of the teams, or at least most of the teams. Sometimes, especially with the backmarkers, they have a bit of a quieter weekend and there's not a whole load to say, or we don't see a whole load of them. But anyway, we're going to start off with P1 the Constructors, Red Bull Racing. Max 
flawless weekend as per usual. I think the only thing that was probably going for him is that he didn't get pulled position and got P3, but had a very, very good start of the race from P3, took P1 into the first corner and then just held it from there. Obviously had to do a little bit of overtake when he went in for pits, but nothing that was really a problem for him. And like I mentioned, yes, he broke his own record. So a very, very good weekend to be Max Verstappen in that Red Bull. However, not such a great weekend to be Checo Perez in the Red Bull at your home race. I feel gutted for him, guys. I am honestly heartbroken for Checo Perez. I was hoping that Mexico would give Sergio the sort of lift he needed for this end of the season, right? Three, four races left. I was hoping going to his home GP, having his family there, his dad, his wife, his kids, friends, all the fans who are... Let's be honest, I think at least 99% of people who buy tickets for the Mexican Grand Prix are going for Checo Perez. And I hoped having all of that support and love and all that noise around him that is just for him, right? Mainly just for him would really help him turn around this last part of the season for his own sake more than anything. And that turn one lap one incident just wiped out all of that. And of course, I get what he was saying when he went to the media pen, he did his interviews afterwards. You have to go. If you see a space, you have to go for it. These are racing car drivers. They're not going to go easy on people. They're not going to not take risks. But that risk just didn't end up paying off for him. I would have been so curious had he not have made that move into turn one and carried on running and managed to finish the race where he would have ended up. But 2023 was definitely a Mexican Grand Prix of what could have been for Checo Perez more than anything. And I think what made it worse, at least from an outsider perspective, Checo might not be thinking about this at all. From an outside perspective, when you see how strong of a weekend Daniel Ricciardo had in the Alpha Tauri, I think it almost rubs salt into that wound. Moving on to Mercedes. Yeah, like I mentioned, they seemed a bit lost during their practice sessions. Wasn't very strong for them. Lewis wasn't happy. George wasn't happy. That pace that they had in Austin from the get-go wasn't initially transferring itself to Mexico. Come the race day, though, Lewis just seemed in a very good groove with the car. Bono asked for a balance check midway through the race. Lewis said, look, it feels great. I was quite surprised at how long he had managed to keep those medium tyres running for. The fact that he got them to the end of the race, he hadn't had a massive drop in pace compared to the Ferraris. The fact that the Ferraris on the hard tyres weren't able to keep up. I think it was just such an amazing drive for Lewis. Something that he needed, I think, after the disqualification that he had. You know, you want to be able to bounce back from that and not have that sort of lingering at the back of your head and sort of dragging you down. And I think he showed that that really wasn't on his mind anymore. He had moved on and he was just fighting for this race, for this Grand Prix. And it paid off. P2, phenomenal drive, especially considering how uncomfortable he was with the car at the beginning of the weekend. George Russell seemed to be struggling and he was struggling out in Austin as well. And I can't figure out whether he's just taking a little bit of time to get used to this upgrade with the floor, whether it's something that he just needs a little bit more time to work with. I'm guessing had this not been a triple header, had he been back home, been able to go to the factory, he might have spent a bit of time on the sim, which might have helped a little bit, but not his strongest weekend. Ended up finishing in sixth place, which wasn't bad at all. But he said he did have some issues with the 
brakes after that red flag restart. He had to cool the brakes down because the team were like, yep, we need to get them back down to temperature. And that ended up just losing all temperatures in the tyres. And he wasn't able to really bring them back to life after that. So he was a bit of a sit-in duck towards the end of the race, but did manage to hold off Daniel Ricciardo. It's just been a bit of a harder weekend for George. And even though Lewis got disqualified in Austin, I think Lewis was still able to sort of reflect back on the race itself and think it was a good race. I had good battles, good overtakes, and I got P2 had I not been disqualified. With George, I think it's just been a little harder in terms of trying to close that gap with Lewis again, because throughout the season, they've been fairly equal, I think, with their lap times and their quality pace and everything. Last two races, it feels like there's a little bit more of a difference there. Looking at Ferrari, I think Charles had a weekend like Lewis, where he really showed that he had left that disqualification that happened in Austin behind him and had just moved forward. Took pole position, which was incredible. And then P3 during the race. He did get some booing from the Mexican fans. I mean, look, it wasn't his fault these things happen. I wouldn't technically lay the blame with either of the drivers. Same with Lewis and George. But if you were looking at who should have given more room, yes, it would have been Checo in that situation. And it would have been Lewis in the cutter situation. Still, though, I think he had a very, very good race, gutting that he wasn't able to really get the tyres to where he wanted them to be to try and catch up with Lewis. will be very interesting to see if Ferrari say anything about that and what the issue might have been with tyre prep or bringing life into the tyres or taking too much life out of the tyres because there was a point where Ferrari were like, yep, in two to three laps, you should be lapping quicker than Lewis Hamilton because the mediums will drop off and the hards will sort of come into that really optimal window that you want them to be in. And that didn't end up happening for either of their drivers for Carlos or Charles. So yeah, I'm not sure what happened there, but very, very good drive from Charles. Carlos also had a very good race. Once again, a bit of a disparity between him and Charles in terms of how much time was between the two of them. And I don't know whether potentially Carlos was holding back a little bit because he knew he wasn't going to really have to fight much from behind and didn't want to overheat his engine by following Charles too closely. So I'm not entirely sure there, but still had a very, very good weekend. Mercedes ended up outscoring Ferrari by a single point this race. Lewis Hamilton getting the fastest lap on the last lap of the race meant that Mercedes managed to outscore Ferrari by a single point. Looking at McLaren, I think it was another sort of weekend of what could have been for Lando Norris. Overall, he had such a phenomenal drive, did Lando Norris. Starting from P17, he ended up making 12 places and got into P5, which is flipping incredible. My hat's off to him. He did so so amazing clean overtakes didn't get into any bumps or scuffles with anyone wasn't wrecking the tires of his car wasn't crazy overheating the engine a phenomenal race from him and from Oscar Piastri he did very very well he held off George Russell for a good couple of laps had that battle with Yuki Tsunoda but yeah for both McLarens I think they're coming away from this weekend a lot happier than what they initially might have thought they would have been between them not thinking this is going to be the best track for them and then with Lando Norris not getting out of Q1, 
I would be absolutely chuffed as a member of the McLaren team right now, looking at the points that you've managed to take from this race. And then we have Aston Martin. What do I even say at this point? It has been another messy weekend. They come away from this with a double DNF. And I know the last stroll one wasn't his fault. It wasn't a mechanical issue to say it was the team's fault. He was just part of a racing incident. But a double DNF. They are definitely not fighting for P4 in the constructors anymore. And considering at one point they were very comfortable with P2, that's crazy. They're now P5. They're not going to be able to battle with McLaren ahead of them and Alpine. They've not got a battle from behind. So they're quite comfortable in P5, which is why I think they're just using these races now as test sessions. You're telling me you've put a cutter spec floor on Lance's car, the Austin spec diffuser. Like it's Halloween and we're going Frankenstein on the Aston Martin. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. They're trying to figure out the development route they need to take for next year's car. And we have three races left. Like that is a bit concerning that you guys are still trying to figure things out from this car. They are lost right now. I don't think there's anything else to it. I know I talked about Mercedes being lost, but I think they were lost for this weekend at the start. And they managed to obviously find what they needed to in that car in terms of balance and setup to make it run well. Aston Martin, that entire car direction seems to be lost right now. There doesn't seem to be a clear direction on the development route that they want to take. The fact that you're taking one spec from here, one spec from there, putting it together before a race, breaking park firmly for it to see if it works. It's a lot of trial and error that I think is really proving right now that they don't know what to do. I don't know. I've said it to people before. I think I've said it on here. I just, I'm going to be so, so interested. And I think they are actually the team I'm most interested in seeing after winter break. When we go to Bahrain Tester next year, they are the team I am so curious to see what has happened to them. Have they still gone in the wrong development direction that they still lost or have they managed to figure it out over winter we will have to wait and see but a very very disappointing weekend for the Aston Martin team Alpine didn't have a bad weekend for them they were in P10 and P11 Ocon getting a point for the team Pierre Gasly behind him so not bad at all from them Williams Bless them, they just had a roller coaster of a weekend, didn't they? Absolute highs coming out of practice sessions, messy during quality, but then got some pace back for the race. At least Alex Albon's car ended in P9, so took a couple of points home for the team. Gutting for Logan Sargent, who had to retire towards the end of the race, but there was just an overheating issue in the car by the sounds of it that he couldn't necessarily do anything about. AlphaTauri have made a absolutely massive jump from being at what I'm pretty sure was the bottom of the table before this race. Daniel Ricciardo's P7 finish has tied them with the same amount of points as Alfa Romeo, which is 16, but they are in P8 above Alfa Romeo because that P7 finish from Daniel was the highest finish from either of those teams. So their upgrades package is looking really, really promising. And had Yuki not have had the incident with Oscar and made that little mistake, then I think, well, they definitely would have been in the points with a couple of more from Yuki and been ahead of Alfa Romeo. But still, upgrade package looking really strong. Hopefully this is a really good building block for next year as well. And I think that driver pairing between Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Snowden is really going to work well for them. 
Alpha Romeo, I mean, they were both the last of the runners. So out of the 15 cars we had, Valtteri in P14, Zhou Guanyu in P15. Not the best day in the office for them. Was slightly gutting, but maybe Brazil will be better. And then looking at Haas, I mean, their upgrade package on straight line looks great. Nico Hulkenberg had a bit of a battle with Esteban Ocon. You could see Esteban was struggling in terms of straight line speed to catch up with that Haas. I don't think it's given them the leap forward necessary that they would have wanted. Now, as far as I'm aware, I think Vegas has a lot of straights, and I mean a lot of straights, so maybe they will go better there. Kevin Magnussen, that damage to his car, I mean, they hadn't initially showed the incident at first, so I thought you'd ended up crashing into someone or, you know, had a knock and then had spun off the track. Have something break in your car, though, that's not down to you. It's just the car not holding up properly. Massive shunts, though, to the car. Brazil coming up next. I mean, uh, here is hoping that Haas have enough of their new spec in spare parts for his car because that's going to be a hefty repair job going into Brazil now. For driver of the day, the F1 fans picked Lando Norris and I am actually going to agree with you guys here. He had a really phenomenal drive. 12 spaces on a track where it's not always easy to overtake, where overheating the tyres and the engine were a massive issue for a lot of the drivers. I know McLaren were having issues with overheating with their engine as well. So a really, really good run from him. Like I said, it was also a clean race. He wasn't getting into incidents. He wasn't getting himself into trouble with anything. And I think when you're that far back, when you're starting and that far down, it's really easy to get in a tangle with another car. And that's not anyone's fault. It's just the probability of you getting into an incident when you have more cars to overtake is just higher. That's just the way it is. So an amazing drive for him. It would have been so interesting to see where he would have ended up had he not have qualified so far down. I personally think he would have been on the podium, P2, P3. But yeah, Lando Norris is my driver of the day for the Mexican Grand Prix. I am back next Tuesday at 9am with a roundup for the Brazilian Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton's second home race. He's an honorary citizen there. We are back to a sprint weekend again. Yay. I mean, we'll see how this one goes. We've heard a lot of complaints about the sprint race, the sprint format, not just from fans, but also from team principals. I know Christian Horner and Toto Wolf both aren't really that fussed on the way the sprints are held at the moment. But we'll see if Brazil gives us anything interesting. I am actually going to end up missing sprint qualifying. I will catch up on it, but I should be around for the sprint race. So that's going to be a nice surprise for me. So going through sprint quality with you guys next week will be interesting and might be a little bit vague, but the rest of the weekend will be fine. To be honest, I absolutely do adore Brazil. I love the Interlagos circuit. Hopefully we also get some mixed weather conditions. Sometimes we've got a little bit of rain in Brazil, so that would be nice just to mix things up a little bit. But yes, Brazil is next and I will see you guys here next Tuesday at 9am for that. Thank you guys so, so much for listening and Dioch and Val. You can follow me on TikTok and on Instagram at stewards underscore office to get more F1 content throughout the week. And I will see you guys the next time you are summoned to the stewards office. <laughs>